the Accidental Engineer. Welcome all, Max of the Accidental Engineer. Today we have the pleasure of Andrea Feynman joining us. Welcome, Andrea. Hi, thanks. Yeah, it's great to have you. Uh, your title at Get Around, the car rental service, is Senior Service Designer. And you are definitely the first senior service designer we've ever had on the show. That's great. Um, I think a lot of our audience aren't familiar with service design. So for those who aren't aware, do you mind giving a little intro to what service design is? Totally. Yeah, so service design is kind of like user experience design at the scale of the business. So if you think about user experience design being focused on users, customers, employees, whatever, their ability to use your digital product, when you think about a product or a service that has a lot of components like maybe a phone or a chat component, physical space, physical objects, uh, maybe a human-to-human -human interaction with people who carry out the service for you, then you need to think about the usability and the experience of all those components. And it goes beyond a lot of what UX designers usually focus on. So if you think about designing a conversation between a cashier or a salesperson or, for example, a, an Uber driver and a customer, um, you can't design that conversation in Figma or Sketch or Photoshop. You need to use different methodologies and techniques. And so that's where service design comes in. So it's a very young field in terms of how recently it kind of got its name, I guess. Yeah. Um, there's not really major college majors <laughs> that you can get in services design yet, as far as I'm aware? I think at SCAD, Savannah mm -hmm. College of Art and Design, you can major in service design there, and maybe at University of Washington in Seattle. But so, yeah, it's, it's more prevalent to major in service design in Europe. It's more developed over there. You yourself did not get a major in service design, so for your audience that are curious about your background, how did you find your way to service design? So I went to college, I went to liberal arts school. I was interested in foreign languages and writing and lots of different things. And while I was taking a French class, I learned about urban planning and urbanism. We were studying um, depictions of the city in French literature from the year 1000 to today. And I got really interested in urban planning and architecture. And so I thought I would do that. And this is around 2008. So I talked to a bunch of architects who had gone to my same undergrad institution who were in their 40s. And they all said, don't become an architect. If I were 20 years old and I could choose my major, I would never go to architecture school. I talked to four or five architects and they all had the same message for me. So I thought, okay, I'm not gonna become an architect. Like, I'm not gonna think that I know better than these older people who have lived it so um, but I was a junior and so I thought okay well I'm really interested in this topic I'll get a PhD in art history and I'll focus on the built environment and cities and architecture and so I graduated from college um, I took all these preparations to get this PhD like I took a semester of German because I knew that would be a prerequisite in grad schools for passing your qualifying exams um, but then when I graduated that summer, I checked the Chronicle of Higher Ed to look at the job listings just for curiosity. 
and there is not a single job listing in the in, in all of North America for anything even remotely related to what I was going to get my going to get my PhD and I hadn't applied yet. Mm-hmm. So I basically just went back to the drawing board. I had no idea what I was going to do, but uh, I talked to this architect who I had met in Boston where I lived at the time. And I was interested, I, I had had this plan that I was going to work in advertising for a year or two to make money before getting my PhD, just to like have fun. Um, was not that serious about a career in advertising. And I met this architect and she told me that her client, who she had remodeled his house, <clears throat> was starting an advertising firm and he was hiring for an entry level person. And so I thought, well, it would be cool to have health insurance. I'm going to go to this job interview. I got the job. It was not an ad agency at all. It was a customer experience management consulting firm, which I had never, I mean, I'd heard of management consulting, but I had never heard of this idea that you could have an entire management consulting firm focused on customer experience. And so while I was there, one of my key responsibilities was keeping up with the news and keeping my boss informed about new trends and customer experience. And since my interest was in design and physical spaces and the built environment, um, I learned a lot about techniques that designers were using to improve the usability or improve the way that customers interact with whether they're physical objects or non-tangible experiences. Um, And that's how I learned about service design. So that was probably around 2010 or 2011. I got more and more interested in having a career in this kind of user experience consulting, experience design, um, focusing on actually designing the experience rather than taking the angle of saying, here's why you should have a better customer experience because I felt like what I was realizing from our company's clients was that Companies wanted to have a better customer experience. They knew they wanted that. They just didn't know how to implement or execute on that. And so I wanted to be the person who did that. Makes sense. Yeah, so I went to grad school at Carnegie Mellon because after getting a lot of advice from people who knew about the better programs to go to, um, I could see that that was the most service design oriented grad program in the U.S., And I didn't really feel like, I felt like going to uh, Denmark or the Netherlands or Germany would be really exciting, but it it seemed like kind of a lot to have to move to a new country and also start a really intense graduate program. Um, So that's why I set my sights on Carnegie Mellon. Makes sense. And after doing your master's, you then joined Capital One, is that right? Yeah, so for a long time, I'd been really interested in working in this kind of like experience design consulting world. And so one of the main, um, I I feel like I can say this because I wasn't responsible for making this firm the famous firm that it is today. Uh, One of the most famous or well-regarded firms was Adaptive Path. And so I thought it would be so cool to work there. Uh, This is like long before I went to grad school. I went to grad school, learned about service design, and then at the time that I was graduating, they were hiring, and they had just been acquired by Capital One. So 
I did the job interview. I was lucky enough to pass. I got the job. Um, and then they didn't, there, there weren't a lot of more new hires at Adaptive Path after that point. So I was really lucky that I graduated in the right year that they were still hiring. And going forward from that point, we were like a consulting firm who did all our work for Capital One, like a consulting firm with only one client. Mm -hmm. So I worked at Capital One um, for almost three years doing that kind of like internal design consulting. I think a lot of our audience that may be specifically interested in service design are probably curious about what interviewing for service design roles looks like. So as I understand it, there might be portfolios people might assemble to Definitely. provide to prospective employers. What, what, is, what's, what do you look for, I guess? Yeah, so service design, as we were saying, it's not something that everyone studies in school. So. To get an applicant who has service design experience is pretty rare, so having anything in your portfolio that shows that you were doing really like stereotypical service design techniques really makes you stand out. So even if you did it kind of on the side or for fun or for a class project, um, I think for a lot of job interviews, those kind of projects might not seem like they stand out because they weren't for a real client or for a real company. But with it, within service design, I think that kind of thing still carries a lot of weight because it's so rare that you get an applicant who has real life service design experience that they got in a normal nine to five job. So in your current role at GetAround, uh, as I understand it, it's a mobile app. It's a web app where people can both list cars that they have to rent to other people. Uh, people can go to rent cars that on an hourly basis or daily basis, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, but at, at the product level, what separates service design from maybe product management? Yeah, that's an interesting question. They really overlap. So, and I would just correct you slightly to sure. say that Get Around is a service that allows you to do those things. And the app and the website are obviously key to making that service work, but they're part of the overall service ecosystem. When I got the job at GetAround, we didn't have we only had one product manager at the time. And we've since hired three or four. But I was doing a lot of work around we would have an idea in a meeting and people would say, Well, we'll just A B test that and then we'll just see what the results were. Or um, We'll, we'll check on the metrics after a month of rolling this out to a small group of people and then we can reiterate the design. Um, and so I was thinking, who's going to manage that test? Who's going to design the test? Who's going to make sure that we incorporate those uh, results from the test back into our design, um, like our sprint plan of what we're going to work on on the design team? And I was used to doing that kind of work because I've done a lot of user research, but um, I was doing that kind of thing. I was going through the flow and looking for edge cases and figuring out what would be best for the business in terms of how to handle edge cases. And I spent all day working from home on a diagram of what the, how these edge cases would work. And then I got together for dinner with a friend who was visiting from out of town and her friend who was a PM at a small startup and she she's a doctor she's not familiar with tech and she asked him 
what his job was. Like, what did that mean, PM? And he explained what he did. And I was like, that's what I did all day. Like, what is, I like had a real, I, I went back to my boss the next day and I was like, what, why do PMs exist? Like, if we're doing all this work, why do we need to hire a PM? Kind of like, couldn't, couldn't the design team just team up with the engineers? Um, I think there are a lot of things that PMs, especially experienced PMs that, that you work with in tech companies have a lot of expertise in that have to do with, um, I don't want to say business because that's a broad term, but really focusing on the financials, um, working on using lean web technology to fill the gaps where the engineers either don't have time to work on something or um, maybe it's more cost effective to, for instance, like use your internal API with Trello or something um, to automate things that maybe you don't need to build a custom solution for and you don't want to burden your engineers building those, like doing kind of lightweight coding. Mm -hmm. I think most service designers have good business sense and focus on how designs support the business needs. But it's rare to find someone who does service design, who's really deeply focused on the user experience, who also can read a P&L statement or an accounting document, and also can write code that works with APIs. So um, I think kind of the, the customer experience and deep understanding of customer psychology and users is more centered in service design and UX design. And some of that more technical um, business type of skill is something that PMs usually excel in. So that's kind of where the division of labor is. It's interesting you mentioned earlier about how the the center of grad programs and, and the industry in some ways is Netherlands, Germany, Belgium, Denmark. Uh, is, is service design as a popular uh, area of uh, the job market resurgent with or or appearing in tech specifically or or does it have a background in more traditional industries that are over in Europe perhaps yeah I think I think they're well first the reason I would say for the popularity of service design in those countries um, and in the UK is because the governments in those countries support um, improved user experience design for their citizens hmm. more so than we would see in the US. So for example, one of the main um, firm is the wrong term, but company organizations that uh, is seen as a leader in both UX and service design is the National Health Service in Britain. And they use a lot of technology. I mean, there's almost no service today that doesn't use technology. but when you think about the way the government carries out this healthcare service for all kinds of people with all kinds of technical literacy levels, um, in order to do that well, you need great UX, great service design, great technology that works on all kinds of platforms. And so having that kind of challenge and the support to actually carry it out is what has made uh, designers in those kinds of firms or organizations more successful. Here in the U.S., um, I think the 
the attitude towards designing something extremely lightweight, like an MVP, releasing it, seeing how it works, is a great methodology for building a business quickly. But if you want to think about a really complicated service that needs to serve a lot of different kinds of people, and specifically people who may not have a ton of money, um, or where profitability might be like a little bit uncertain and you're taking some creative approaches to making money. Um, kind of the startup tech world is not always focused on those kinds of challenges. And I think that sounds a little bit like startups don't focus on things that are complicated, which is not what I'm saying, but when it comes to accommodating a lot of different types of users, um, I think a lot of startups and apps don't exactly focus on a lot of different types of users. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question, but I'm curious about the relationship or what's the optimal relationship between software engineers on, in, I guess, software-specific businesses and service designers within that same business. What, what level of abstraction do service designers communicate with engineers and vice versa? It really depends. At Capital One, I almost never interacted with software engineers. We were really focused on understanding our customers, figuring out how we could create innovative services that served our customers' needs while also making money for Capital One. Um, they always involve some level of technology, but the details of how that technology was built was not really our area of focus. Um, at Get Around, there's only about 50 or 100 people that I interact with day to day in the office because it's the, the entire company has probably three or 400 people spread across the whole U.S. So um, there is some element of having to actually work with the engineering leads to figure out if an idea we have is even viable. Um, that's always a good thing to do, but when it comes to like how is this implemented? How does the server serve up these pages? And what can it do? What could the API deliver? Is this information in the data model and we can't actually surface it to users? Um, those are things that I talk about with the software engineers from time to time, but there's definitely a level of abstraction between me and them for the most part, because I'm focused a lot more on uh, kind of the beginning of the design process or the product development process. And the execution is something that I support, but I'm not deeply involved in it day to day. Feel free did to- Did that punt. answer your question? Yes, it did. It okay, did. cool. Feel free to punt on this last question, but uh, I am curious about specifically the get around business. And uh, I think our audience are also curious about what you see as a service designer is kind of the future of transportation in some ways. So yeah. are, do you have any kind of bold predictions about what the future of maybe car ownership or car usage might look like from a service designer perspective? Yeah, well, I think, well, first of all, it's easy for us to take it for granted, but the level of infrastructure and um, social norms and mutual understanding that we all have about how to use cars and how to drive and interact with one another on the road is it's been developed over a hundred years or maybe more. And I think there's like so much to that, that we don't, we just take it for granted because it's just how it is. 
And so when it comes to having self-driving car, even Uber and Lyft, um, when we change the transportation paradigm and just thinking about cars, like forget about bikes and scooters for a minute, there's a lot of social norms and attitudes and ways that we interact with each other as neighbors or fellow citizens or people of the world. Um, there will have to be changes to those things for us to be able to use self-driving cars and share them. Um, I think social norms around Uber and Lyft, for example, have changed so much. Like I always think about um, 10 years ago, so wait, it's, it's 2019. So in 2009, probably if you went to a party and had a couple drinks, your parents would say, never get into the car with a stranger at night in a city to go home like that's so dangerous like why would you ever do that but now your parents would probably prefer that you do that if you they don't want you walking home or being by yourself at night it's much it seems safer to get in a stranger's car and pay them like five bucks to drive you home it sounds insane but we're all doing it these days um the idea that we're going to share these self-driving cars and we're going to maybe like own timeshares in these cars or um, that we'll all be scootering and biking and having like special scooter lanes and bike lanes and something else lanes in our roads. Um, it sounds outlandish, but I think there's a lot of work to be done on understanding how to act and agreeing as a society how we should act. Um, service design is going to play a big role in that because it's about understanding how to use the product, signaling to people how something works, making it smooth and taking out the gaps or the negative aspects of an experience. Um, I think that there's so many possibilities of how that could go in the future. So my, my prediction for the future of, of transportation and mobility um, the social norms are going to be really different. Even if the form factors of like the car, the bike, the scooter might look pretty similar, the way that we're going to interact with each other and our psychological feelings about what's normal and what feels okay to do, I think will be really different. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I, I think we're all looking forward to it. I do want to follow up with one final, final question about, you mentioned the NHS having a big hand in service design around public health care. In the U.S., yeah, there's not a universal health care system. Uh, however, when it comes to transportation, there's definitely regulatory bodies, and they have a huge, I think we all know they have a huge say in what will come ahead of us with self-driving cars and whatnot. Um, are there service design careers that exist in public office and in uh, U.S. government when it comes to maybe transportation service design, uh, that type of thing. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know of anything that's like at the National Highway Transportation Safety Board or something like that. But um, on the city and county level, they do hire service designers here in San Francisco um, for all kinds of different areas of focus. Um, I'm trying to think on the federal level. I mean, there, there are people working on these kinds of things. Um, and one thing I'll say is that you might find yourself in a job that has to do with program management or operations or 
something that's not even in a design organization within a federal agency or something. But that doesn't mean you can't use service design methodology to do your job, even if your job is not quote unquote experienced designer. So I think if someone's interested in doing service design for transportation and they don't come from UX or user research or customer experience design or something like that, um, it's totally justified to do your job, whatever it is, and bring in service design methods. Makes sense, makes sense. Well, Andrea, thank you for coming on the show. It's yeah, been a pleasure. thanks for having me. For more, visit us on iTunes or our website at theaccidentalengineer.com.